Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 357. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lended FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like FinTech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest FinTech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful FinTechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back Miland Mahir. He is the CEO and co-founder of Yield Street. Now, Yield Street's a super interesting company. They basically are a platform for alternative investments, and I've been an investor for many years. And wanted to get Millen back on the show. It's been about five years since we had him on, and obviously a lot has changed. And we wanted to go through the different verticals, the different niche asset classes that that Yield Street offers. We do that in some depth. We talk about NFTs. We talk about accredited investors versus non-accredited investors and some of the challenges there. We talk about the scale they're at, investor returns, and uh, what's next. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Milland. It's great to be back, Peter. Just looking, it's been exactly five years since we had you on the show, and boy, little did we know what we had in store over the <laughs> when we last chatted. So it's been an interesting five years, to to say the least. I'd love if you could start off with just talking about how Yield Street has changed. In 2017, you were still pretty much a startup and uh, just kind of getting some traction. But how would you say the um, the last five years have been? Yeah, the last five years have been fantastic for Yield Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have changed actually quite dramatically. If your audience and, and you remember, Yield Street, uh, as the name suggested, primarily started by offering access to direct investments across a variety of different asset classes and focused on yield or income generation. Since then, we have built the most comprehensive platform that gives you uh, access to private markets not just alternatives, across a variety of different asset classes, using a variety of different ways you could invest in products. So you could make direct investments, but you could get access also to funds. So it is the most comprehensive platform that gives you access to private markets and really helps you modernize your portfolio. So it has truly evolved into the next generation wealth tech investment platform that we had aspired to, to build when we started the company. Right, right. So, so would you say the mission is still the same? That hasn't changed? Mission is absolutely the same. Access to and distribution of alts were always broken. And we have proven that using technology data and regulatory frameworks, you could open that access up. The mission is absolutely the same. We are uh, staying uh, true to what our true north is. Right, right. Okay, well, let's dig right in here. I'd love to go through some of the different asset classes because I think this is, you know, and I've been, full disclosure, I've been a Yield Street investor since 2017. I've always appreciated more 
unusual types of assets that you can get on here. But as you say, you've got sort of more mainstream assets and some of the alternatives. But let's just go through some of them. I know that you made an acquisition, I think it was 2019, if my memory serves me right, in the art space. And I thought it was a little curious at the time, but now I can really see where you're going here. So tell us about the art space and how you're making that available to investors. Before we dive into asset classes, right? Maybe to give little orientation okay. to your audience. What is Yilshu trying to do? So if you think about the private markets, what we are trying to really do is, if you look at investment strategies, there are really uh, you know, three main areas that we are focused on. One is generating income. Other is capital appreciation or really uh, growth of your money. And then mm-hmm. the third is going to be the blend of two. And so any of the asset classes that we bring to you will fall underneath those strategies. And I think that is very important as you think about diversifying away from the stock market and really modernizing your portfolio. That's really uh, at the most top level you have. And then you have a variety of different asset classes that complement that portfolio. And uh, if you think about what are the primary food groups, if you will, so it is private equity, mm-hmm. private debt, real estate or real assets. Art is a part of it. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Venture capital and then uh, crypto. So those are like kind of the five main food groups under which all of our products are now offered uh, to our investors. So, so that's kind of the top level orientation. Now okay. going back to your question around art. So art brings out generally uh, for us, the thesis really was Art is very similar to, to real estate. And so it has two flavors, debt, which produces income. So if you are a high net worth individual or a gallery or an auction house and you have art as collateral, can you borrow against, it? Mm-hmm. which is very similar to crypto? Like, Hey, I'm sitting on $2 million of Bitcoin. I'm Bitcoin long. Can I borrow against that? So it's very similar concept of you have a $2 million multifamily real estate unit. Can I borrow against that? And so that's one aspect where you get, you know, monthly coupon, if you will. And then the second uh, aspect is investing in art. And Yield Street actually is essentially launching this passion assets. And so what does investing in art mean? If you go want to buy a Basquiat or a Banksy, it's going to be several million dollars. Right. Can you actually fractionalize that and offer it to investors so they could invest five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, but still get the capital appreciation? And in the last couple of years, you have seen that there is a lot of interest, especially since the pandemic, in these type of passion assets, which is uh, potentially sports memorabilia, art. It could be other things such as cars and wines and watches and Mm -hmm. whiskey. These markets have historically been very private and has been done by family offices and institutions to to a smaller extent. There are platforms uh, like Rally Road and Masterworks alongside us that are, you know, trying to really bring uh, this asset class to the market. And, you know, art is a $2 trillion asset class that is absolutely 100% illiquid. So these type of products bring that liquidity and also provide that capital appreciation that the consumers may be looking for. Yeah, and it's a really good point because such a large asset class, I mean, it should be in every investor's portfolio, right? Because it's fairly non-correlated and uh, it is great because like you see a, you know, Banksy or some of the other famous artists that are around today. And you think, oh, well, I, I can't afford to own one of those. And so you're actually buying the equity of the art, right? You buy and hold. And what is the expectation for sort of a, a liquidity event there? I presume this is pretty long-term investment, right? 
so the way uh, you know we are doing it is that instead of as usual in in yield street style right what we do is take an asset class and make sure that we can structure it in such a way that our investors get the true benefit of the platform so instead of you speculating on an individual piece what we are doing it is that wrapping it into an investment vehicle where you get access to multiple pieces together right. and the typical whole period is about you know 3 uh, to 4 years and then you will get liquidity on that and the liquidity will primarily come from potentially selling appreciated assets and for example we have uh, one fund open that has murakami yoyo kasuma that's warhol bunch of these guys we are also launching we are actually sponsors of the new basquiat uh, show called king pleasure Hmm. So it is like the Van Gogh immersion. Basquiat, as uh, all of us know, right now is the most popular and hottest artist in the world. So we are actually presenting that show one of as one of the sponsors, and our next portfolio is going to be anchored around a Basquiat piece. So, uh, so it's a really exciting time. Uh, the returns are expected to be in high teens if the market continues to hold. So the targeted returns are are expected to be in that range. And as you said, it's a really non-correlated way to uh, explore that market. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so you said that crypto is somewhat similar. Tell us a little bit what you're doing in crypto. Again, with crypto, obviously, uh, Peter as you know, uh, we have been very conservative. So mm-hmm. up until now for the last 2 years, 3 years, our our customers were asking us about it. Crypto was obviously, uh, you know, very much uh, kind of in the speculative kind of bucket. In the last year or so, especially during the pandemic, there has been a wide scale adoption of crypto. and so there are really two things that we are doing in crypto one is that you will get access to very interesting crypto funds that will again give you that diversification so as an example we launched pantera capital have been around for a long time a known investor in crypto the fund that we launched was their early stage uh, ico token fund mm. and this has bunch of different positions including tokens such as polkadot and this is something that you can't get access to at the minimums that obviously are available on yield street and so we launched and you know basically we were subscribed out of 30 million dollar position in that fund mm-hmm. we are going to launch another fund that is going to be a basket of top 10 coins so if you are a consumer that doesn't want to buy bitcoin or doesn't know which coin to buy and how they have been performing we are creating a basket of top 10 fund that auto balances uh, itself depending upon how the market moves with a very very good asset manager and that's going to be launched in the next couple of weeks so stay tuned for that so that's one way that we are launching in terms mm-hmm. of investing uh, in funds that are diversified or investing in crypto related assets that can give you non correlated very big targeted returns right so this funds could be in 30 40 50% returns obviously all targeted but uh, you know that's really why you are investing in crypto the right. other thing what we are going to allow people to do shortly I'm giving away all the secrets. My marketing team is not going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you will be able to actually use your crypto if you want to diversify away and invest using crypto on Yield Street. So if you hold Bitcoin, Ethereum, any of these coins, you will be able to uh, move them to to Yield Street, and we would have a crypto wallet, and then uh, use that to to potentially uh, invest in offerings. So. that's very exciting you know big investment uh, in that area for us in the next 12 months that's really interesting very interesting indeed so you know, think about it right the opportunities are endless right uh, meaning imagine if you are sitting on a million dollars of bitcoin or ethereum and you want to borrow against it you are long on crypto and uh, so you know there is this margin lending solution the same way you would do with cash 
at right. uh, you know your private wealth bank, right? And so we are working through partners to offer similar uh, you know solutions to the crypto universe out there that is sitting on a lot of crypto, but want to obviously hedge and diversify their portfolio, but don't want to sell the underneath asset. Mm-hmm. And so imagine if we gave them 60, 70% LTV, they could get fiat and then invest in alternatives that is generating double digit returns, but they're at the same time preserving their stake that they're obviously uh, you know very bullish on long term. Right, right. Yep, totally get it. Okay, let's go to a more traditional asset class, uh, real estate. I've seen a lot of real estate offerings come on your platform. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So in the last year and a half, there's really been a big push towards, actually last two years, big push towards uh, real estate equity. Yield Street, by the way, was the first platform to uh, identify single-family rental, SFR, and bill for rental, BFR trend. We put our first portfolio before the pandemic. And you know what happened during the pandemic in the last couple of years, like big asset managers like Blackstone have doubled down with multi-hundred million dollar funds in that space. We have continued to evolve that space, offering single family rental portfolios to our investor base. Along with that, we have offered lots of real estate equity deals, multifamily, commercial, real estate, office space, warehouse. And so like really rounded off the Yield Street offering from the traditional real estate debt that we used to do. We still do real estate debt, but like really complemented that. We are obviously also trying to figure out how to get more and more people involved in these type of offerings with regards to the consumers that you can buy in. So we actually launched our uh, first private REIT. And the idea there is to give more access to people. And also, instead of investing directly in one or two real estate investments, you invest in this private REIT that you know generally uh, will give you that diversification without traditionally, you know, public REITs are highly levered uh, with very expensive fee structures. And, you know, like what we are doing at Yield Street is obviously demystifying that and making it easy for people to access a similar product, but much more cheaply. Right, right. And speaking of demystifying, let's talk about private equity, because that's obviously an asset class that has really only been available to institutional investors uh, for many decades. So what are you doing there exactly? So the strategy there, uh, Peter, in private equity is actually pretty straightforward. We are taking marquee managers, both across private equity and hedge fund ecosystem, and uh, making them available on Yield Street. For example, we launched with with Avenue Capital, which is uh, a well-known manager, Mark Lassery, and we have launched two of his funds. Along with that, Onyx is in private credit. They actually have quarterly coupons and invest in a whole variety of private credit Again, a very, very popular fund. Along with that, we are uh, launching, you know, in the coming months, going to be big asset managers such as Fortress and KKR. And the idea really is that you give people access to these marquee managers who have established track records. The main thing and the main ethos of Yield Street is having minimums that are palatable. So unlike private wealth management, where the minimums could be 250, $500 million, you get access to that. And while speaking of funds, Outside of private equity, maybe we can touch on venture capital for, for a minute. Sure, sure. So there we are. We also have two strategies. So for example, we launched Greenspring Associates, which is a 20-year-old asset venture secondaries uh, manager who is now owned by Stepstone, which is publicly traded. We launched uh, their funds on our platform. And the idea is like they are LPs, Andreessen, Excel, and Fosla, and NEA, and Bessemer. So, you know, you get like the secondaries fund gives you access to like really the investments 
that they're making in the secondary market, but they also have fund of funds that are LPs in all of these things. And so these type of strategies, you just don't get access to them. Right. And so I think that is super interesting. And then what we did is yesterday, we launched our first VC co-invest. Mm-hmm. So we launched two, two investments, including Flutterwave, which is the biggest African unicorn right now in the payment space. So uh, excited about that as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw that news. It was really cool. Okay, so then the other broad category then is private credit. And you touched on it, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing there on the debt side of things. This is going to be very interesting, especially with the movement in interest rates that's happening and mm-hmm. then probably supply chain issues and, and other aspects of inflation that are coming in. But private credit simply is, these are funds that lend to middle market companies that do $100, $200 million in revenue. You know, they could be across consumer lending companies, they could be around auto loans, or they could be just middle market companies that are, you know, in the manufacturing space. And this is senior secure debt for most part. It's a variety of different kind of strategies within one fund that you would get, get access to. You know, these are companies that may not be in the leveraged loan market, but one rung, uh, you know, below that. And so people get a very diversified pool of variety of different investment that such a such a credit fund would do. And uh, so that's what we are trying to trying to bring. My very first investment with you guys was your um, legal finance. It was, a, I don't know if you call it a fund, but I remember it was like a, a group of a, like 300 plus cases or whatever. Where do you put that? Is that under private credit or how do you kind of categorize that? Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, potentially legal finance fund could go inside of private credit for sure as a food group, so as to speak. So yeah, the simple answer is yes. Are you still doing that? those sorts of offerings? Yes, we are still doing legal finance. We are partnering with top of the line kind of industry you know, partners. Mm-hmm. In the last six months, let's say, if you're watching the platform, we have partnered with Benchwalk Associates as well as with Parabellum, which are big funds in the legal industry. And we are basically you know, giving access to those funds. Right. Another, I think, great uh, non-correlated asset class there. So then I'd love to get your thoughts on NFTs. I mean, they're, they're all the rage. They've been all the rage since for the last year. And I know you you don't sort of jump in on the latest trend, but what are you thinking about? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so Peter, I think uh, you, you're absolutely right. I think the way we would uh, really integrate NFTs, if at all, would be in our passion assets. So if you are potentially, uh, you know, buying a, or, or investing in an art portfolio, if the artist is living and they're buying their art, you know, potentially collaborating there and creating some digital NFTs that could be part of that overall pool. We don't anticipate, uh, you know, launching or selling NFTs for that. You could go to Open Sky or one of these many platforms that are available, but it would be related to passion assets and, and looking at that space, but just getting our, our toes wet, if you will, not diving in at this point. Understood. Understood. So then let's take a step back. And how do you, you look at sort of alternative investing and imagine not everything you do is alternative these days, but... Has awareness changed? I mean, you've obviously grown really well over the last few years, but where are we at with awareness of alternative investing, would you say? I think the awareness has dramatically changed, Peter. And and I would love to actually hear your thoughts on it. I mean, we were the trailblazers in 2015. You know, we were actually developing the market. The market didn't exist. And today, there is a thriving market, right? If you look at across the industry, the, the number of alternative investment platforms and different variations of them, mostly aligned to an asset class. 
but there is a tremendous proliferation of just knowledge that's out there. Okay, so I think the market is still not like obviously peak. We are, I think, still on the not cross the chasm, if you will, but like about to cross the chasm. What are the reasons for that? I think there are two main drivers. So massive tailwinds. One driver is consumer behavior. The consumer is much more knowledgeable today. They want to invest. They want to take control of their financial life that traditionally people have shied away from. And they're saying, hey, we want the seat at the table, but don't just stuff us with ETF and passive products. Give us what the institutions are investing in. Give us what the most sophisticated investors, wealthy top 1% is investing in. So we want the seat at the table and they're willing to put in effort to learn and understand. Second is tied to the consumer behavior. What has happened is, you know, think about during the pandemic, meme stocks, rise of crypto. That has generally created a ton of awareness that uh, new consumer-driven behavior can really open up industries. And uh, so I think those two factors are creating this tailwind behind alternatives. I feel that we are in the first innings. And uh, our belief at Yield Street is that by the time this decade is over, so I call this as the golden age of fintech, meaning the next 10 years. We were in the mm -hmm. golden age of tech the last decade, mm -hmm. 2010 to 2020. And within that, if you think about the alternative investing and investing landscape, I can assure you by the end of this decade, it's going to be uh, the allocation to alternatives for a retail investor uh, share of wallet is going to go from less than 5% today to 30%. Right. And the drivers of that is going to be private markets, VC, crypto, private equity. And you're seeing asset managers all jumping in. Look yep. at the bets that Apollo, Blackstone, Blackstone launched, you know, BD and is raising billions of dollars from retail. I think that's going to drive a big adoption. The other big secular trend, Peter, is that in the next 15 years, so next decade and a half, $67 trillion of money is getting transferred from baby boomers to Generation XYZ. Right. They are not going to their parents' advisor. And so when you think about the consumer profile that's changing, I think a lot of that will be uh, taken from online digital platform like Yieldstreet. There's going to be a huge uh, race towards who becomes the super app of investing and wealth mm -hmm. management. Because I right. think with DeFi and all the things happening there, banking is becoming a commodity. It's a sleep, you know, and everything can be done. Literally, I mean, we have 100,000 bank accounts without us being a bank, right? Through a partner bank, through an API. Same FDIC insurance, same everything. How do you kind of differentiate yourself and who's going to be that super app of investing and wealth management? I think that's going to be, that's going to be a big race. And, you know, right. we like to think that we are in the forefront of that. Yes, yeah, so you're certainly well positioned. And I would also argue another tailwind and something you've really focused on, I know, is the fact that it's easy. Before, investing in alternatives, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, even for a high net worth individual, it was not an easy process. You've made it like it's just, you know, buying a stock kind of thing. It's you open up an account to say how much money you want to put in and boom, it's done. It's, uh, you know, it's a very simple process. And I think that's that's the other piece that I see as being really critical for getting mass adoption. And I think, yeah, as you say, there's there's more tailwinds coming, as you say, like the transfer of assets and all those sorts of things. So I want to ask about accredited investors versus non-accredited. I know that most of your offerings are for accredited investors. How do you feel about, you know, I know that you talked before about the importance of non-accredited investors, but where are you at with that now? 
I would say 90% of our offerings is open to accredited investors. One of our funds, the Yield Street uh, Prism Fund, that's open to non-accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are continuing to work within the constraints of regulation to open products up for much more of the population. That's really where you know regulation, we really have to figure out whether it's a, it's a combination of regulation as well as technology and what role we can play there to really uh, you know educate the regulators in general about what it means to invest in these type of investments. And I think, listen, they are taking the right steps. So now there are private funds where you could invest through your 401k and that thing is the Department of Labor has proposed that. And these are all the steps in the right direction. Accredited definition itself needs to be re-looked at. You know, like regulation, obviously, when we refer to Investment Act of 1940 and Advisors Act of uh, 33, there is fundamentally something wrong, right? Where you're referring to something that has happened pre-World War II. Right. So I think how do we sit down with regulators and say, hey, general solicitation was not allowed because you know a lot of the hedge funds, people didn't have transparency. But if you look at Yield Street, the level of transparency you get on an investment has never been done in the private markets in alternative investments before. So what are the platforms really doing? Where should the platform, so instead of being restrictive, really have a dialogue about like, hey, what is required so that the platforms can do the right thing by the consumer, make the right data and information and content available versus saying, hey, this has not been done for the last 30 years and you're not financially qualified to do that. You know, that's like the wrong approach. Like, how should we have that dialogue? So think about it, right? Like you and I, we spend uh, way too much time in, you know, potentially Vegas attending conferences. We have fintech conferences. Lendit has been, uh, you know, there. And when you have fintech conferences in the same place where any consumer can come, and freely lose money. 100% of your money you're guaranteed to lose. And you can allow to do that, but you can't allow them to invest in private markets. There's something fundamentally incorrect about that whole proposition. And so how should we kind of walk hand in glove with regulation and and do that? And by the way, now again, we're getting a lot of tailwinds because crypto is becoming real. Financial institutions are paying attention. And so there is going to be a lot of dialogue around what's the role of blockchain? to, again, further decentralize and offer transparency and do it, obviously do it the right way so that mm-hmm. the consumer is always protected. But at the end of the day, we have to live with the technology of 2020, not with something that has happened in even 2000 or 1980. Forget about 33 and 40, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is It is a little bit ridiculous, as you say. So we're running out of time, but I want to get a couple more things here. I want to talk about, like I've seen on your site, historical returns to investors. You obviously share that publicly. Can you just share what the historical return has been? Just a little bit about that. Peter, super exciting. You have been with us since uh, you know almost our beginning days. Yesterday, or actually two days ago on Tuesday, we launched our 360th offering on the platform. Wow, that's great. I don't think that any funds, including Blackstone or Apollo, have done so many investments in like a 20-year period, right? So we obviously are very proud that we have done that. But I think what we are more proud of is that over 180 investments are fully matured and paid off. We have returned $1.5 billion plus back to our investors in principal and interest. We have generated close to $175 million plus of interest income for our investor base. The platform IRR, we have a statistic base that walks through everything, but it's, you know, it's tracking towards double-digit platform IRR. And so, yeah, we are very excited about how the platform has really uh, evolved. 
Uh, we are the only platform that has you know distributed now close to over three billion dollars in diversified product right across mm-hmm. multiple asset classes, multiple strategies. And I think from an end consumer user experience standpoint, you don't want to go to monoline platforms and have ten platforms where you're going to get access. And I think so that's what Yieldstreet does is to like really provide you that complete alternative uh, point of view. Sure, sure. Okay, so then as we wrap, maybe you could tell us about what uh, what you're working on that's interesting. What can you tell us that's coming down the pipe at Yield Street? Yeah, I think, listen, I think there are uh, two or things, uh, two or three things that are very exciting for us for the remainder of the year. So we spoke a little bit about crypto. We are going to continue to evolve. How do you offer crypto products, but also use your crypto to invest in alternative I was going to say traditional asset because compared to crypto, alternatives is traditional. Right, right. right. <laughs> so, uh, in much more of like non-crypto alternative assets. So that's one bucket. The second bucket is we launched our secondary market last year and we are continuing to evolve. So we have uh, you know exposed over 65% of our users to secondary market. And so we are making some big bets because ultimately our vision is that the reason private market adoption is so poor in, in the retail ecosystem is because there is no liquidity. And the liquidity premium is 20, 30, 40%, which just makes it really unpalatable for many consumers. So you will see a bunch of new workflows, new commitments that we're making to secondary markets, including we're launching a very interesting fund in the summer that could be of interest to your audience. And then the last thing is, think about like robo-advisory meets model portfolio, which has obviously been done in public public markets, right? Nobody's really truly doing it in private markets. Nobody can really do it because they don't have the diversity, but we do. Mm-hmm. So imagine if CalPERS has to allocate $5 billion, what they would do is go to a Wilshire or a Cambridge Associates and say, hey, please lay out a plan for us to really, how should we think about it across alternatives, private markets ecosystem? The same question consumers should be asking and how can you automate that experience? So I think for us, we are working on something very cool in that overall space where you would be able to come to the platform, answer a few questions, and we would basically lay out for you in those five or six food groups that I had said at the beginning of the call, private equity, private credit, venture, crypto, real assets. How do you distribute that? Uh, you know, If you want to invest $50,000, how do you distribute that? How do you automatically rebalance it? And so I think that has never been done for retail and we are super excited that, you know, we are kind of embarking, taking baby steps towards that. Right, right. That is really interesting. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Mill. And uh, it's always great chatting with you. You are doing important work for investors like myself. We uh, appreciate it. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I want to go back to what Milan was talking about there with the accredited investors uh, rule. I mean, it's something that's been on the books since the 1980s. There has been some movement changing that definition. I personally would like to abolish it. I think it's meaningless today because you can invest in your life savings in the latest crypto token. You can invest your life savings on going to the casino and betting on red or black at the roulette table, you can do it in a penny stock. All those things are completely legal. But some of these great investment opportunities that are really non-correlated are only available to accredited investors, and I just think that is plain wrong. I don't think the rule is going to be abolished anytime soon, but I hope they do dramatically change the rules so it's open to many, many more people. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.